This is a true story, by the way. I'm not making this up. This is not some type of preacher story. This is, you, this is verifiable, okay? And so this lady's kicking this stuff, and her dog runs off and gets loose, okay? And so she runs. The dog runs all around, going up to people at Walmart, jumping on people at Walmart, eating things at Walmart in the grocery style, and eventually grabs a family-sized box of Jiffy cornbread mix. You can't make that up, folks. And so the lady's out. She's now outside calling for the dog, but doing karate moves, okay? And as she's doing that, the dog runs outside to meet her with a Jiffy, Jiffy mix. Her son's in the Walmart. He ends up stripping down naked, putting on more clothes. It got really weird. They, long story short, they arrested everyone and even cited the dog. <laughs> okay, I could tell you about Walmart, but I just showed you Walmart with that story, right? And so what happens here in Luke chapter 24, when we have the, the picture of the resurrection and the story that Tom just said, it, this is exemplifying what it means to have belief but unbelief at the same time, okay? There's several stories. There's one story in particular in the Gospels, which this man says, I believe but help my unbelief, okay? And so what we have here with the disciples, Jesus is raised, okay? And this is a, a very verifiable fact that he is raised from the dead, okay? There was the Roman guards were where they had guarded the tomb, and now there's no body to be found. That would be under the Roman guards. If they had failed in their duty, they would have had to have been murdered or killed, executed for their dereliction of duty because the Romans did not play. And so this has happened. They cannot find the body, and if they just find the body, then, then it would be sure that the resurrection never happened, but they can't find the body. And there's these angels in the tomb and the ladies roll up on, on the empty tomb. And the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. And Simon, Peter goes and checks it out, but there's still this air, this, this thing in the air of how could this be? How could he be raised? I, I, I mean, all the facts are pointing to a resurrection that Jesus is actually alive. All the miracles were showing were evidences that he was not just a man, but not even just a prophet, but he was God in the flesh. And then he called the fact that he was going to die, be crucified, and then he was going to be risen. That is a hard thing for me to get my head around because when you go to funerals, you don't expect a happy ending. You expect a person to be dead and for the burial to happen and for it to be over with. But now there's this bomb that's dropped in Luke 24 at the first part that he is risen. And there's people struggling with it. And so here's the thing. Wherever you are and however you walked in here today, whether you are convinced or whether you have a mix of, of belief and unbelief, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief, or you're just coming in here as a skeptic, I want you to know something. Here's the good news about the God who inspired the Bible. He knows and he understands. And as we looked at, this, at the passage that Tom, Tom read here, I want us to look at three things about unbelief. And then I want us to look about how God encounters us in our unbelief and leads us towards a knowledge of Jesus. And so if you look, this is Luke chapter 24, and we're going to just read through it together because, again, this is a picture. Like I could tell you, again, Walmart's a weird place. And then, or I could tell you about Karate Dog, okay, in Walmart, and you get it. And so this story is, the disciples had trouble believing, and here's the story that helps you see how Jesus encounters them and helps them go from unbelief to belief. And we see this in verse 13. It starts, it says, that very day, two of them, two folks, were going to a village named Emmaus. It's probably, and it says here, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're, they're having a walk together 
all the events of Passion Week, Jesus' tri- uh, illegal trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and now his resurrection has just occurred. And these guys are leaving, kind of decompressed and talking about what all they had seen in Jerusalem. It's a seven-mile walk. They got some time. Verse 14, and they were miles from Jerusalem, or seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, all the events of Passion Week. Verse 15, and while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus draws near to them and went with them. Now, verse 16 helps us understand why they didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus, okay? Because I think that would be pretty amazing. He just kind of strolls up. But they here, verse 16 tells us, but their eyes kept them from recognizing him. Their eyes kept them from recognizing This unbelief is evidenced by the fact that when, when Jesus has approached them, there is something, there is a blinder on their eyes. And they can't understand or see who he is. And I want you to see this before. Unbelief has to do with blindness. I mean, you heard Amazing Grace. You probably heard it sung on many number of occasions by a many, a myriad of people, some good, some bad. But you got in Amazing Grace, that song that's, whether you're singing in a secular, uh, secular situation or a sacred situation, it has the, the idea of I once was blind, but now I can see. And spiritual blindness is a real thing. The, the truth can be right in front of you, but you can be blind to it. That's what we see here, that blindness is real. And there's something that God has to intervene in our lives for us to actually see God for who he is. We have, sin has created blinders on our hearts. We can't see as we ought, and we need God's intervention. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has been intervening. This is the plan of the Father before the world, and he's come to intervene. We got the promises of Christmas now fulfilled in the passion of his suffering and now his resurrection. And he's been intervening and coming close to those who don't believe and those who walk in their own blindness and those who maybe even are close to the stories, but they don't know Jesus. And so he rolls up. And so a real part of blindness, a real part of our spiritual unbelief is blindness, and we need God to intervene. And so what we see in verse 17, it says this, and he said to them, Jesus, remember, he rolls up, they don't see him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk. What are you guys talking about? And so it goes on, and it says, and they stood still looking sad. And there's, here's the other thing that goes with unbelief, okay? When we walk in unbelief, when things, unexpected tragedies happen, and unexpected difficulties happen, we walk with a sadness that's devoid of hope. Just let me just, just say that again. When we walk in unbelief, we walk with a sadness, and, and bad things happen to come to our life. We, we live with a sadness now that is devoid of hope. And so these guys, they, they're, they're struggling. They're sad. They have seen all these things that have happened and taken place in Jerusalem with the crucifixion of Jesus. And there's an editorial comment here that says they stood still and they were sad. Like, and then verse 18 says, then one of them said, his name was Cleopas. The other guy, we don't know what his name is or her name. I guess we could be either one said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? It's like this. I went and picked up my, my, uh, some of my, my extended family from, uh, from my brother and sister-in-law and their little baby, and my mom flew up, and we picked them up at the Nashville airport. There are signs everywhere in the Nashville airport for the NFL draft. 
like everywhere. Like they're on the ground. They made signs to put on the ground. Like, oh, look, there's the draft. Oh, look, there's the draft. Oh, hey, you know the draft is here? And then, you know, the NFL draft is everywhere now. It's the big thing. If you go into Walmart, I don't know why I am keep going. I'm on a very Walmart-centric you know, sermon today. But you walk into Walmart now, and you see NFL draft stuff everywhere. There is no way, unless you are just putting your head in the sand, that you would not know. Whether you care or not, I'm not talking about you. Know, I can't believe we're talking about football. NFL football. Okay, just get over that. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But you know it's here. You know it's coming. That's what these guys, they'd be like, is there some kind of sporting event taking place here? You guys, this what happens is like, Jesus walks up on these guys and says, why are you sad? What's going on? What are you talking about? And he's like, you don't know, man. It's been a big deal. Like the whole, a whole of Jerusalem has been turned upside down. And so verse 18 says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? Now, Jesus obviously knows he was the one who was crucified and raised. He is getting them to think. And so what things? And he said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And so the guys describe Jesus and the situation that has unfolded during Passion Week. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all of the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. And moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us at the tomb, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, women had said. But we didn't see him and said, you hadn't heard about this story? And this prophet Jesus, and he gives, in the discussion, these men walking, they give a brief description of Jesus. Now, remember, they have been spiritually blinded here. And, and that's part of their unbelief. But the second thing is that there is some confusion. Now, they get a lot of the story correct, but there is still some confusion. Because they just see Jesus as a prophet. Because you see at the very beginning, it says he's a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Now, a prophet is an important person in the Old Testament and in the Bible. A prophet is one who speaks for God. And Jesus definitely was a prophet, but he was so much more. And they understand that a little bit more. They, they see him as more than a prophet, saying he was mighty in word and deed. And we know his miracles he performed. I mean, he did this before God, and he did it before man. But then you pick up down here, and it says, and we had hoped, had hoped, like a past tense hope, that he was the one to redeem Israel. And this was the idea of the Messiah, the Christ, that Jesus was to be the one that would restore all that was broken, to take the people of God and make them free and under God's reign again, to cast out the Romans, to be the Messiah. They have a small understanding of what that is because they only saw it. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. But the fact is, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he was the redeemer of Israel. But there was some confusion here at the situation. So I want you to tell you this. A lot of unbelief, it has to begin with spiritual blindness, and you need God to intervene. But another thing about unbelief is it has to do with confusion. Confusion. Unbelief has to do with confusion. And here's what I mean by that. Most of us come to the Bible, and we, it's, it's, a foreign, it's almost like a foreign language to us. 
Because maybe you've been in this situation, you know, you've seen people in your life that have experienced the power of God and they've, they've understood Jesus better through the scriptures. They, under, they, have a, they came to a saving relationship with Jesus through the Bible. And then you say, I, this is going to help me, okay? And so one day you're struggling or one day you, want, you need some inspiration or one day you're needing to deal with some struggles in your life or, or you know you need a savior and so, or you just, you just think you need to commune with God and so you get your Bible out. So you know what you do? If you don't have a clue about it, you play like peekaboo. You throw it open, and you're like, that's the verse. Read this one, and you accidentally open to Leviticus, or you open to Numbers, and you're like, man, and if you don't know what the book of Numbers is like, it's really that. It's like Numbers, and they talk about, they count up how many people were in Israel, and you're like, this is not helping my life or my situation or my connection with God whatsoever, and I don't get it. Or even if you read some of the Jesus stories and you just don't understand why he gets so mad and he flips tables over and he gets the whip out. Or you read about him cursing a fig tree and you're like, I like horticulture. Why is he cursing a perfectly good fig tree? I don't understand that. What's the deal with that? And if you think about it, what Jesus is about to do to these guys is to unpack and clear up some of that confusion. And here's the thing. When it comes to, I, I know this, YouTube is a wonderful thing, okay? Because if you don't know how to do something, you can YouTube that, okay? And it makes me feel emboldened to mess things up when I watch YouTube, okay? I, I Now I know how to do this because I watched YouTube, okay? Now I know... And we will spend, or maybe me, maybe I'm projecting on you, but spend a lot of time trying to figure things out so that I don't look, you know, hi, I'm mad, I can't do anything. I'm a grown man, but I can't change anything. I can't put air in my tire, okay? Just so, just so I, I can save some face, I will spend all of that time going and looking and trying to figure out and answer those questions on YouTube. And do you know this to be true? Gentlemen, we don't like to ask anyone for help, directions, or how to do something. That's true. And if we do, we go to them under cover of darkness or send, send messages to them via burner phone, okay? <laughs> right? And why? Because we, don't, we are embarrassed about our spiritual confusion. And I, I want you to just get this. In, the, in a Bible Belt culture, and I'm not saying this is a Christian culture that we live in, but in a Bible Belt culture where people have grown up in church, you're acquainted with church, you know things about church, I want to be very, very clear about this. Many people are living in unbelief and confusion because they just, their spiritual pride won't let them say, I don't understand. And I hope you get this, that there is an endeavor, like God wrote this book through he inspired men, and they wrote the exact words that he wanted them to write over, over millennial, like over thousands of years. And he's given us this testimony of who, he's, who he is, what he is like, and the greatest story ever, the story of Jesus, which all the scriptures point to, and Jesus is going to talk about that. You need someone in your life to help you understand that. And if you don't, if you feel you need to be at the point where you know you can come to someone who knows the Bible to teach you the Bible. And if not, just at least if you're here this morning and you're just not convinced, at least you should investigate this to be true. Because it would be a shame if you were eternally separated from God just because you wouldn't deal with your own spiritual, spiritual pride and confusion. 
And that's what's happened. These men are talking. This guy has run up on him, and they don't understand it's Jesus. And in talking to them, there is still some spiritual confusion. They have, a, they, have, they have warm feelings towards Jesus, obviously. They thought he was a prophet of God, mighty indeed. And they hoped that he would be the one, the Messiah, who would redeem Israel. And verse 21 says, yes, besides all this. And they talk about the resurrection morning. And then we get down to verse 25. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is why you need to read the Bible to get your understanding of Jesus. Because if we let our own culture dictate what Jesus would say to these guys, it would not have been, you foolish ones. You know what it would have been? Oh, that's, you're close. I'm Jesus. Come give me a hug. It's all right. I'm not going to correct your understanding of truth. No, you believe whatever you want to believe because I'm sure you believe it sincerely. And that has to be the only mark of truth is that you sincerely believe that. Which the problem with that, if that's sincerely insane, I could sincerely believe I'm a parrot, but that doesn't make me a parrot. I'm still a human. Okay? I mean, it's just crazy. So Jesus doesn't just affirm him. He just says, How? You, you're foolish. And he's, it's probably not fool, okay? I don't think it's like that. I think it's more like, man, you're missing it. How foolish. You just don't understand. These guys are obviously, they, they want a relationship with God. They are looking for God's Messiah to take care of sin and to restore a broken creation because they were hoping Jesus would be that guy. And so he comes and says, oh, foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So then what does Jesus do? He says, let me, let me just take you on a little trip through the Bible because, you know, it was necessary. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? The Old Testament shows that the Messiah was not just going to be the one who would redeem Israel, but the way he would redeem Israel would be by sacrificing and suffering. Go back and look at Isaiah 51, the suffering servant who would be pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace was on this suffering servant. That looks to no other than Jesus. And the way of glory for the Messiah was seen through the suffering of the cross. Jesus purchased, and that's what the Old Testament is getting at, there is no glory without a cross, there is no glory without suffering, and so the Messiah is one who would come to give his life and suffer so that he might redeem his people. And then they get this great Bible study here, with Jesus, okay? So what we have here is him dealing with this unbelief. He's recognizing that there's spiritual blindness and unbelief. There is confusion, and then he acknowledges their unbelief and rebukes their unbelief. But in so doing, he gives them that gentle confrontation. It's like, hey, you realize that you're being foolish, right? You know you really want people to gently confront you, okay? And I'm give you some examples of that. First off is this. When you ask somebody, how do I look? like your spouse or someone when you leave the house. You want them to be honest with you. Maybe. <laughs> no, you really do. I mean, you, you could be jacked up, okay? You go on a job interview, okay? How do I look? If that tie is tied really crazy, jacket's not on right, pants are too tight, you want somebody to be like, hey, 
Slow your row. Or you're going to the beach, and you got too small of a bathing suit. You want somebody to be like, uh-uh. How about some board shorts and a T-shirt, bro? Okay? Speedo later, all right? Do the beach body thing first, okay? You want somebody to do that. Going on a first date, broccoli in the teeth, okay? You want somebody, no, you don't want your date to do that, okay? You want somebody like, hey, man, you're growing shrubs up in your grill. You want somebody to confront you on these things, especially if it has to do with not just something small, but with your eternal life. And so Jesus confronts them gently with this, oh, foolish ones. And then what does he do? Does he just call them fools? Because sometimes we think that Christian evangelism is just saying, you're going to hell. No. What does Jesus do? Look in verse 27. He gently confronts them. And I mean, I mean, that doesn't mean a confrontation doesn't hurt. Okay? Somebody's got to get serious with you and say, hey, that outfit is not good. That, no. That girl you're dating, that guy you didn't know. This situation you're in, bad. It does, it's not without its pain. But it's a gentle conversation and it's for your good and your well-being. Verse 27, Jesus not only confronts them gently, but he also teaches them. It says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is basically a way of saying from the very beginning, the first five books which are attributed to Moses throughout the end of the, end of the Old Testament, which ends with the prophets. From the beginning of Moses to the prophets, he interpreted, helped them understand in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the most amazing Bible study ever took place on the day of the resurrection. And they're walking, and they don't understand. And Jesus confronts them in their unbelief and then begins to explain to them the Scriptures in such a way that we just can't even imagine what that was like. And it's described here in a minute. In fact, if you jump down to verse 31, after Jesus, their eyes are open, then they describe the feeling of this Bible study, okay? In verse 32, it says, And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? While, we talked on, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures, did our hearts not burn? This is not, obviously, this is not something that can be cured by Tums, okay? This heartburn is, I think it's a combination of things. It's, it's a couple of things. First off, I think there was genuine conviction about their unbelief. And what is conviction? It's God showing you that the way you're walking is a way that leads toward death. And he comes in, and I think their hearts were burning because they were still walking in unbelief, and they were still walking in, in, in blindness and spiritual confusion. And he comes and he unpacks this, and all of a sudden, all that was wrong is being corrected. And so there is a burn that associated with that. But secondly, there is a burn that is associated with knowing and understanding the truth and having a love for truth. That is a part of it, too. Because... I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Truth persuades by the weight of its own reality. Let me say that again to you. Truth persuades by the weight of its own reality. And whether they they haven't realized it yet, but the risen Son of God is walking with them and is explaining to them who he is and what he has done and the full fullness of his Messiahship and the, the way he bore sins. 
that is all being described to them. And obviously, their unbelief is being corrected, and there is some conviction related to that. But also, the weight of this truth and the reality of it is settling in on them in such a way that it feels like a burning, like a desire to know the truth and to be in the truth and to walk with the one who is true. We use, we use that, that image of burning in so many different ways. But if you think about love song, there is an idea of, the, of, a, of a yearning or a burning for someone. And what we have here is a, a deep desire to know the truth. And Jesus, as he's saying these words, they are true. Now, this is the, the resurrection story is so far flung. It's so out there. But the evidence is so weighty to it. I'm going to give you some, just some quick evidences. And this is one of the major ones. Jesus, after his resurrection, it was not like they just didn't find the body and that was the end of it. He appeared to tons of people in different situations. This is one of the situations. And then he appeared to over 100 brothers in, the up, in, in, in places. He was before them when he ascended. So Jesus has appeared to these people after his resurrection. There's no such thing as a mass hallucination. It doesn't happen. Not where everybody hallucinates about the same thing, okay? No matter what you take, no matter what you do, it is the truth that these people cannot have a mass hallucination. So they believe that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Not only that, they gave their lives for this. They did not make money off of the resurrection whatsoever. They did not become health wealth preachers, okay? That did not happen to them. Every one of them died according to their faith. And so this far-flung story shows itself to be real in the facts. And then here's the other part of this. Not only do we see the facts of it, we see the implications and why Jesus needed to die every day when we look in the mirror. I'm going to tell you why we need that. Because we all know that there's something wrong. Every world religion is trying to solve some type of problem. Buddhism, it's desire. If we get rid of desire, then we can reach the state of nirvana and be reabsorbed into the world. You got pantheism and all the religions related to that. What is that? You want to be, there's reincarnation. You want to get your karma up so you get reabsorbed into the universe. Islam, you... These pillars you do, giving, praying, you do all these things, and then you're accepted by God and you're loved. And, and well, he's still arbitrary, but that's the things you do to, to get the salvation. There's a problem broken in the world, and the way that you can be right with the world is being reconciled to Allah by following the seven principles or the seven pillars of Islam. There's all these different things that, that people will do to try to be right with God and will try to, to have this standing before him and to try to fix a problem. We all know there is a problem. Every other religion in the world, they say the, the way you solve your problem is that you do these things, therefore your problem will be solved. But Christianity says this, your problem is sin, and we all know the problem. It's not outside of ourselves only. It is in ourselves too. We have been broken by sin. We are dead in our sin, and we need a remedy outside of ourselves to wash away our sin because no good things we could do could ever cover the the spot of sin. And so what we have here in Jesus is we know we need to be redeemed. We need somebody to pay for our sins and to make us right. None of our striving can do it. There's a self-evident nature to this that we know something is broken and we want to fix it, but we're unable to fix it. And here's the good news. Jesus is the one who can fix it. 
And that is the truth. And the heartburn here that we see is a conviction showing you cannot save yourselves. You need to be saved. And then the other heartburn is there is a Savior and he is true. And then what happens? If you go back just a few verses before they had have made this editorial comment about their hearts burning, in verse 28, when they drew near to the village, the, the party here, Jesus and these two men, when they drew near to the village, to which they were going. He acted, Jesus was acting as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, hey, stay with us. We're having this great conversation. Hang out. He says, stay with us. It's the end of the day, and it's far spent. It's, it's getting late. So it, it, we pick up, and it says, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, and this is going back to right before he went to the cross, okay? Because when he, right before he went to the cross, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and they broke bread. They drank wine and celebrated the Passover. And then what happens here? When he was with them at the table, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him. This wasn't hypnosis. We're like, you're going to act like a duck until I snap my fingers and they're done. It wasn't like, they're not going to recognize me until I break the bread, and then they hear the sound of the bread breaking, and then they'll recognize the amazing Jesus. That is not what was happening here. The breaking of bread, Jesus has already told us about previously, was symbolic of his body being broken as a substitute for sin. He bore the, the pain and the judgment due for sin in his body, being broken and having his blood spilled. And so when he's talking about the bread being broken, he is pointing to himself and his final redemption in his act. And so do you know what brings these folks from unbelief to belief? The work of Jesus. The work of Jesus brings people from death to life, from unbelief to belief, from blindness to sight. And there is a weightiness to this symbol that we're going to partake in in a few minutes. Do you realize this? And I hope you, every one of you knows this. There is no way for you to be righteous on your own. There's none. You have no hope of it. I have no hope of it. I can put on a good front. I can look holy. I might carry around a big Bible. I might have Bibles in my house. I might know a whole lot about the Bible. I might come to a lot of church services. I might do a lot of extracurricular activities. I might do a lot of Meals on Wheels. I, man, you might volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. You might be a stellar person. Your family may think, oh, they are saintly. They might think all of those things to be true. But here is the bottom line. We have all sinned. Our hearts are default set towards sin. And we sin not only by nature, but we sin by choice. And if we don't sin outwardly, You better believe we sin inwardly because our motivations are wrong. And Jesus would talk about our motivations, that they matter when it comes to sin. And these men were walking in this unbelief. And then Jesus jars them back to to see things clearly with the breaking of this bread, which symbolizes his redemption, the fact that his body was broken, his blood was spilled, and that in him and him only there is redemption, new life, new sight, 
being awakened to God and all who he is. And this was this, in this act of breaking his bread, it is symbolic of his completed work. There is no hope for you or me or anyone else in the, on the planet unless you repent of your sins, which means to turn from them, and you trust Jesus. Now, that's a supernatural act. But God works through the preaching of the gospel through his Holy Spirit. And what the gospel is is the good news I've just told you, that Christ Jesus died for sinners, that he was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. He was seen by many. He's raised and he's coming again. And that's good news for you. And you need to turn from your sins and believe that and trust him as your only hope. There is no other way to take care of sins. There is no other way. And his resurrection proves that he has the power. And so in just a few minutes, and here's how I want us to wind this down today. You see, there's this process that kind of unfolds with them over, over the afternoon into the evening where the Lord, is this, this good news is put out there. Jesus has shown them. <laughs> he reveals himself as the resurrected Savior. But there is a process that takes, is taking place here of, the, of them becoming to understand the truth. And so here's what I, I hope you do, okay? I'm hoping this isn't a one-off for you if you joined us today. It's not like I'm going to show up here, and then we're really grateful. If you just show up once or twice a year, we still love you, and we're so glad that you're here. I just want you to know that. If you haven't heard that today, we're glad that you're at church. I just, we're just very, very glad, okay? I hope somebody you know, gave you a handshake, okay? I, I really hope you do that. But here's the thing. Sometimes we need to, to realize it. It's a process, of us coming to understand these things. And if you're walking in spiritual confusion, you might need to connect with somebody. You might need to ask somebody to pray for you. And so here's how we're going to end. In a few minutes, we're going to play, or just a second, we're going to pass around communion, which is a representation of what we just talked about. Jesus' body broken with the bread and his blood spilled with the juice. We're going to pass this around. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take communion with us. If you have come from death to life, if you, are, if you have become to the place, not that you're perfect or that you don't struggle with unbelief, but that you've come to a place where you've settled that Jesus is your hope, we invite you to take communion with us. As we do that, we're going to play a video with some, with some song lyrics and stuff that will focus us on the resurrection and the finished work of Jesus. In the seat back in front of you are some passport cards. If you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you have some spiritual confusion, or you want some prayer, or you want somebody to connect with you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite you to put that card in the offering plate when it goes around after communion. And that'll be a way as you taking a step towards helping you understand what's going on. Now, here's the thing. If God is also, just, just really clear, if God's also convicted your heart about your unbelief and shown you that you need a Savior, you, there's no special formula or aisle you have to walk or anything like that. You just turn to him. You turn from your sins. And the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means just call out to him in prayer. Turn from your sins. Trust him. And you'll know eternal life. But you're not, maybe you're not there. This is another way to connect. And so as we get ready to, to, to do this, I'm going to invite the communion team forward. Communion team, if you come up, they're going to pass around communion. You do business with God as you need to. Passport cards is a great way to do that. Um, and we're going to pass out the communion. If you're a believer, just, you know, it's okay to let it pass. If you're, if you're not convinced, it's fine. Um, but we're going to celebrate. We're going to pass out the elements. We'll celebrate it in a minute. But if you just check this out as we prepare our hearts.
you're joining us for the first time uh we did a little tricky thing for you the bread cup is underneath the juice cup so just so you know that um on the night that jesus was betrayed before he went to the cross he was in the upper room with his disciples and when he had broken bread he said this is my body broken for you take it and eat in like manner took the cup said this cup is the new covenant my blood take it and drink as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I pray as we take this symbol and as you've heard the gospel this, this morning, I pray that as, the, as we experience and talk about the bread, bread being broken, that there will be many that pass from unbelief to belief today. Uh, on this way, we are just very thankful to be together and to worship with you. We're thankful that you decided to come and worship with us today. And we're just so thankful that you are here with us today. If you would, we're all going to stand and we're going to be dismissed with these words of benediction. And the sun's out. Yeah. It's a good, it's, we celebrate the resurrection today, and God's just showing, showing us a picture of redemption. Be dismissed with this truth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He's ascended, and he's coming Walk in that truth that gives us hope. You are dismissed. God bless you.